Hello, greetings and salutations. Welcome to the podcast that looks back at albums, movies and video games to ask anyone for seconds. I am your host, Dave. How are we all? Are we ready to get proggy? What do you mean you don't like prog? It's not all about Yes, Marillion and Jeffro you know. Well then, I'd best teach you a thing or two about prog. This time, let's travel back to 2011 and take a look at Prog Metal Titans, Opeth's 10th studio album, Heritage. Prog metal. What? Without going too off the mark, there are many hundreds of subgenres within rock and metal, and is the case for most things. There are subgenres within subgenres. For example, rock is a vast branching term for all different styles, one of which was where the term Nuwabum, or New Wave of British Heavy Metal, including stalwart mainstays such as Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, was born. From this, metal was born, and as is the case, through the years, evolution and influences bore new subgenres, one of which just happened to be progressive metal. Effectively, a form of metal that emphasises musical passages and playing with a harder edge than traditional progressive rock. Dave, why go into this? The clip you played wasn't exactly, well, metal. This is why we're covering the album this week. Opeth is particularly known for their heavy guitar riffing, growling vocals and ferocity within their music. This album showed the band openly embrace their more proggy roots and deviate heavily from their sound. This major change in Opeth's sound, to me, was signposted after their previous album, Watershed, from 2008, leaned into much heavier, keyboard-driven classic prog style, but still with a metallic edge. It's a natural progression if you excuse the turn of the phrase. Without further hesitation, shall we do it? Shall we make love upon a burning fire? Wait, that's the wrong word document. Damn! Let's just do the context dump. Writing for Heritage is thought to have begun around September 2010. During this time, frontman and main songwriter for Opeth, Michael Ackerfeld, wrote several songs in a similar style to previous album, Watershed. Bassist for the band, Martin Mendez, upon hearing these initial songs, told Ackerfeld that he wasn't interested in essentially repeating what the band had already done. Relieved by this revelation, these tracks were scrapped and Ackerfeld started again and wrote what soon became the Heritage album. Recording began on the 31st of January 2011 at Atlantis Studios in Stockholm, Sweden. Interesting studio fact time. Atlantic Studio, formerly known as Metronome Studios, is actually where ABBA recorded some of their hit songs including Money, 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 Mamma Mia, and Waterloo. Not only this, but at time of recording, it is undergoing a major renovation and is to be reopened in November 2020, along with one of ABBA's grand pianos purchased at Sotheby's auction to be placed into the studios once again. Who says that you don't learn anything from this podcast? Anyway, going back to Heritage now, by late March 2011, the mixing of the album was completed by Eckerfeld's long-term collaborative partner, Stephen Wilson, from another prog metal band called Porcupine Tree. 
The cover art for Heritage was done by Travis Smith, who had previously worked with the band on some of their other albums. Heritage was released in September 2011, to generally positive reviews. From critics, at least, anyway. Fans were highly divided by this bold new direction the band were heading. So much so, that in an interview with Prog Magazine, Ackerfeld states that during a show of their 2011 US tour for the album, members of the audience were challenging him to fight while on stage. The notion of audience members being so opposed to this is absolutely staggering. Anywho, Heritage sits at a score of 71 out of 100 on review aggregator website Metacritic. Kerrang! magazine gave the album a 3 out of 5, stating, It's an album that succeeds on its own terms, but if it really does mark the effective end of Opus as a metal band, that will remain our loss. Rock Sound gave the album 8 out of 10, stating, It's really quite fantastic. Long may Opeth continue to do whatever the fuck they please. Finally, Rolling Stone rated the album 3.5 out of 5, stating, You have a career record that reimagines prog as actual rock and roll. With all of this out of the way, shall we get into it? It's time to ask, anyone for seconds? Heritage sits at a hefty 56 minutes, with 10 tracks of prog rock goodness. Shall we start with track 1 then? Seems like a perfectly good place to start as any. The self-titled track we agreed to with is a pure piano instrumental piece. Already, it's a marked departure from their back catalogue. As an opening track, it's fine. I don't really count this as the album's opening track per se. It's more of a prologue and a tonal piece that effectively acts as a gateway to the album. If you don't like this prologue, then maybe you won't necessarily get on with the rest of the album. Especially if you were expecting some heavy metal metallic drama. Onwards then to track two, which is called The Devil's Orchard. We are instantly met with a catchy rolling guitar riff, Mellotron evoking the spirit of progressive rock from the 1970s. This, for me, is where the album starts properly. It's a standout track which really demonstrates the band's progression from their death metal route and leans much more heavily into their classic rock roots. From Ackerfeldt's vocal styling to the classic 70s fuzzy guitar tone, even to the more classic rock-style drum fills. It's not hard to see why this was chosen as the lead single from the album. It's truly representative of the album in its entirety, while itself being a bloody catchy track to boot. Seek this out should you want to try the album out, but ensure if you want some deep dive into the heady world of prog rock. From the demonic tones of The Devil's Orchard, we move into the much more ethereal I Feel the Dark. Starting off with a cool and calm acoustic guitar riff, before being met once again with Ackerfeld's gentle vocal style. While we're talking vocals, let's address the big elephant in the room. Well, for some fans of Opeth, not only was the music not heavy enough for them, but also more notably, this is the album that saw frontman Ackerfeld ditch the death metal growls, much to fans' dismay. Funnily enough, this actually isn't the first Opeth album to not feature any death growling, as 2003's Damnation album was the first to do this. Honestly, I don't mind the lack of growls. It wouldn't suit the musical style that Opeth had gone for and would detract from the music. Artists and musicians should be allowed to evolve and change. Without it, everything would sound the same and quickly become stale in the eyes of the musician. Who wants to feel like that? Besides, if you want Ackerfeld death growling, go back and listen to the earlier albums. Or better still, go find some of the back catalogue of Bloodbath. He features on those and does lots of death growling and they're awesome. Anywho, I feel the dark is a truly stellar track 
full of twists and turns while never becoming predictable. Track 4 is Sliver, written as a tribute to rock legend Ronnie James Dio, who died during the writing of this album. This is the heaviest track on the album. You can really feel the influence of Dio on this track, from soaring vocals, sublime melodic guitar work, to the frenetic energy of the drums. I seriously can't recommend this track enough. A definite highlight for sure. With Nepenthe, we reach the halfway point of the album. Has the energy diminished by this point? You could be fooled into thinking this with the intro of this track, given how low-key the drums and guitar are. Well, to start with anyway. It's really halfway through this track, where things truly get, well, prog. With a low repeated guitar riff that accentuates the guitar solo onslaught, it's not long before we're met with an absolutely blistering guitar that is simply outstanding. Top-notch stuff. Hack's Process is track 6. I can give or take this one. It's not that I don't like the track, it's quite the opposite, because I do like it. For me, it's honestly not that interesting enough for me. It doesn't necessarily do a great deal that gets me to think, Blimey! That ripped my face off! The energy definitely wanes a small amount as it's a more subdued affair. Maybe skip this one? For me, I mean, it could be deleted off the album and I wouldn't necessarily miss it. Track 7 now, Famine. No, that's not how I'm feeling, but it's the name of the track. Once again, it starts off very melancholic, but it soon evolves into a more heavy assault around the halfway mark. It's on this track that I feel the more traditional prog elements come into play, with extended melodic passages of varying styles, and even going as far as emulating Jeffro Troll by throwing in flute solos, because, well, why the hell not? Famine manages to, rather ironically, bring the energy back to the album and get things back on track for some proggy goodness. Nice. Not bad. The Lines in My Hand is a high-energy ballistic piece that echoes Slither in its more frantic moments. Once again, this is another standout track that leaves you breathless in its attack while simultaneously throwing you plenty of curveballs in its wake. This is prog in its most purest form and honestly, three and a half minutes just isn't long enough for me. How does Folklore Track 9 do in comparison? While the track starts off rather subdued with a nice little guitar riff that could be mistaken for a warm-up technique, the band come in and deliver a competent little rocking track. However, with the band once again in fine form, it's really the final three minutes which make this track stand out to me. From this nice little rock ditty, we get a brief acoustic interlude. Before we get the keys, accompanied by a simple bass solo. That's right, a bass solo. For the bass solo, it's not bad actually. Suddenly the guitars kick in and we get a most excellent passage of music that is not only triumphant but also grandiose in scale. It's truly mesmerising to hear the band do what they are known for. Exemplary melodic playing that is just so, so great. Seek this out, you will not regret it. Here we are folks, the final track, Marrow of the Earth. Bookending the album, we've got another instrumental track. As always, let us discuss how it fares as an album closer. Well, I personally feel it to be a little bit anticlimactic, especially after it follows on from the triumphant epiphany of folklore. Don't get me wrong, this is a really nice acoustic piece on its own, but because it's just so subdued, it falls a bit flat. I don't necessarily know where I'd place this track within the album, but it certainly wouldn't be after Folklore, as that had such a brilliant, triumphant style ending. It felt more natural as an album closer. 
It's a bit of a shame, really. And with that, we are done with Heritage. Overall, I really like Heritage. It's definitely not deserving of the hate it got at the time by fans of the band. While, yes, it is a marked departure from the band's previous work, it certainly doesn't mean that it's all bad. In fact, it's really quite bloody good. It does have peaks and troughs though, mind you, as there are parts that just don't work for me. There are moments where the band are in full swing for it to suddenly stop. The only comparison I can make that's similar is eating a perfect steak or plant-based alternative. For it then to be taken away while you're still eating it, it's downright frustrating at points, especially if you're unaware of how OPEF or even Prog Rock operate. You have to take the good with the bad. Ultimately, this album is a work of art and should definitely be heard. This is a band at the height of their popularity and then deciding to do what they want. This is something to be applauded as artists should be encouraged to explore not only all of their influences, but make the music they want to, not what fans want to hear, or even what record labels expect. This freedom of creative output needs to be heard. Heritage is the perfect example of this. It's not necessarily the album that some fans wanted, but it's definitely the one that we deserved because, geez, it's funting great. Take it from me, it sounds even better in 5.1 surround sound. Thanks once again for listening. Do you agree? Disagree? Was the flute a bit much for you? Why not get in contact? We're on Twitter as at anyone podcast. If you're on Facebook, there's a page on there. Just search for us. You will find it. Longer considerations can be sent via email to anyoneforseconds at gmail.com. Don't forget to give us a like, rating and review on your podcast platform of choice as it helps us grow the podcast, help us reach more people and pollute more people's ears. This time, I'm going to leave you with a cut from the album. Thanks again. Stay safe. You got this.